Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? It's the Crossover Pod Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. We have reached the mathematical midpoint of the season. Not to be confused with uh, false uh, false midpoints, mythical midpoints, uh, all-star break midpoints. Not a midpoint, the all-star break. I just did the math. 70% of the NBA season will be over by the time players head to Salt Lake City next month for the all-star break. So we're at the actual midpoint, which seemed like a good time to bring my friend Zach Lowe on the pod to discuss all we've seen in the first half of the season, what surprised us, what we were wrong about, what we were expecting, and uh, oh yeah, what the heck is going on with all the individual scoring binges. Not just Donovan Mitchell's 71-point explosion, but all the 50s, the 40s, um, something going on. We have theories. This is the uh, second piece, part of a home and home with Zach. So if you missed it, you can hear us on his podcast, The Low Post, earlier this week. So go check that out if you haven't already. Uh, Before we get to the back end of the back-to-back, quick reminder, please rate, review, subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. If you got feedback for me, please hit me on Twitter at Howard Beck. Okay, my conversation with Zach Lowe is coming up next. So stick around. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. Now pleased to be joined for the first time on this podcast... Big welcome to Zach Lowe. Zach, how are you, sir? 
Yeah, I can't. I can't keep past of you, keep track of your like revolving podcast career. You're you're like it's, the ish, you're like the Ish Smith of podcasts, just whoa. jumping or just jumping around from podcast. So I can't keep track of the titles. I haven't appeared on this one. I've appeared on every other one. I don't know what the hell's going on. I, I think this is literally the only the second one that I've had a a hosting or co hosting role on. It just feels like a lot more. Um, I am still drinking from my full forty eight mug here, as you can see. Um, my full 48 coffee mug. Uh, it's um, I, here's the thing. I did I did my bad uh, Zach Lowe impression to introduce you as I've done before on previous podcasts, where I try to do the welcome to and the pause, and then two things hit me. One is, am I infringing on a trademark? Because the first thing that everybody asks me all the time, because they always ask about you. They, they just want to know about Zach Lowe. But I get hit with the what up Beck every time. And then they say, can I do that? Is, it, is that allowed? Is there a charge? Is there a fee? Do I owe uh, royalties to Zach Lowe? I can't remember if we've cleared this up before. Can you clear that up for anybody who wants to invoke the phrase? Open source, baby. It's all Open for source. everybody. It's all for the people. Uh, I don't want any red tape. I want innovation, <laughs> creative ideas, steal it all. That's fine with me. You've always been a man of the people. And then uh, how cringy is it when I try to replicate the dramatic Zach Lowe pause when I welcome you to which my was, podcast. Which was an accidental thing that happened on like my first couple episodes, maybe my first one all those years ago when David Jacoby, God bless him, forced me to have a podcast against my will. Um, it, it, I think you do all right. It's like, look, I mean, not everybody can do these things. You know, some people are just born with <laughs> stupid random talents and, and other and other things well you explained why was it an accident did he say you just you need some sort of actual opening line and you and this was just the thing that happened or no i th i think i didn't know what the opening line should be and i probably said welcome and then there was some awkwardness where i was like what do i do now how do i continue a pod and then it just became a thing you have made an awkward pause an actual uh like go-to uh wonderful gimmick that's 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 phenomenal. I was a little worried the other day because when you did it, uh, we are completing the home and home of our podcast this week. Um, uh, but people should go check out the low post if you haven't already from a few days ago. Um, it sounded like you strained a little bit, and I sometimes do wonder in listening to the pod if you've ever actually like strained a vocal cord because sometimes you're just you're you're really going all in on the uh, the emphasis on the welcome to. It sounds like like a, it, it strains. No, but I have um, I have injured myself in other mundane ways, the most recent of which was a few months ago when I got my second booster. Um, I'm now, because my wife told me to do this, and she's right, I'm now an expert helicopter, you know, with the, with the shot arm. You got a helicopter uh. so that you minimize the soreness. And I was helicoptering so aggressively that I pulled something in my midsection area from the helicopter. And I was like, this is just a sad state of affairs. Wow. Welcome to middle age, my friend. This yeah, is what happens. It's, sometimes it's I wake. Gonna, it's only going to get worse. It, I've been it, told it. Sadly, it, it does. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, man, my, I feel like I pulled a rib. What did I do yesterday? That I could have possibly pulled. I have no idea. It's, it's just middle age. It sucks. Um, since we last podcasted mere days ago, um, we had noted the Nets 12 game winning streak. You had noted that Ben Simmons had not made a free throw since November 25th. And lo and behold, the Nets winning streak is over since we last potted. And Ben Simmons made a free throw that night. Causation? Correlation? I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe Ben Simmons not shooting free throws or making them was a good thing. 
Yeah, the Bulls continue to just have the strangest season where they beat all the good teams and lose to all the bad teams. And they had a really nice win over Brooklyn last night at home. Got a career game from Pat Williams. Io DeSumnu played really well. And Ben Simmons was one of four at the foul line. Um, one of four. So that's 25%. <laughs> I guess the four is good. The one is bad. That's the first one since November 25th, and it is now January 5th. So that has been the only red flag to me about the Nets' complete dominance of the NBA over the last month. And I, I said to you the other day, like, that the Nets' team of the last month, like, this is a championship contender. Like, we can sit yeah. here and say that we don't trust it and, 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 um, and, wait for the anvil to drop from the sky because something always it's always something with them but like this isn't just oh look they've stabilized that's cute this is like oh and the only red flag has been we've seen it in the playoffs with Simmons I'm having Kevin Herter on my podcast later today mm-hmm. and I rewatched parts of that game seven between the Hawks and the Sixers because that was the pass game but it was also the Kevin Herter game I was like I want to kind of rewatch some of Herter's shots and I want to see where he was when Simmons passed to Matisse Thibel, like, did he see it? What was his reaction? Um, and so we've seen it in the playoffs before, and you know it's going to happen. There's going to be hack of Simmons. There's going to be Simmons catches the ball under the rim. Simmons in transition. Like, maybe it doesn't matter because KD and Kyrie are so good. But, like, against the very, very best teams, it's it's going to matter. Yeah. Um, no question. I wanted to, like, so I, I sent you a list of, of – uh, Topics, ideas for us to discuss today, uh, as we do for these things. Um, I did not send you this one because I figured I know the one thing you hate talking about the most is yourself. But I wanted to do one quick little aside here before we jump in. Um, having reread your last uh, ten things column, and, and we're recording this on a Thursday, so your next ten things will be out uh, by the time this this pops. People are are very curious about your process, and and I know a little bit about it. And you and I have discussed it at times over the years. But I and I may have hit this on one of my last seventeen podcasts that you believe I had, even though I only had I believe uh, one, the full forty eight. Um, that is that actually true. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this correctly. Yes, uh, my All podcasting right. career not that long, uh, not not as long and glorious as yours. Um, so, I, I, there's a, you give the impression, and I, th- I think this is a very positive impression. I, you, you get the impression reading your stuff, reading your tweets, reading your stories that uh, that you you uh, and I can see your your uh, your pod studio there. I do not see any screens behind you, but I get the impression that somewhere else in that room there are actually like 20 TV screens. Uh, all of them split into quadrants so that you can watch every basketball game that's happening at all times. That not being the case, what is the typical week? How many hours? How many games? How often are you watching the next morning? I know you do. You'll tweet sometimes, oh, re-watching Wizards Pacers for some reason, um, and just notice this. How how much are you putting in um, in the course of an average day, an average week? I don't. So I don't do those tweets anymore because I've disengaged from Twitter to to the point that it's strictly a reading and link tool for me. Um, I don't know how many hours a week I work because it just feels like, with with some exceptions where I put my phone away and play with my daughter, it just feels like it's sort of an ongoing, constant thing. Um, In terms of game watching, I think I've said to you before, my religion, such as I have one, is two games a day. Um, start to garbage time, two games a day. Uh, I I 
rarely, rarely, rarely miss that. Even if I have like a night event that vaporizes my whole night, a work event, um, I will try to make up for it, at least watch a game and a half the next morning. Uh, sometimes I get to three, sometimes I get to two and a half, but I do not. I have one TV in my office, um, and I I am just not one of those people who can do the multiple games. I don't know if it's because I'm not my brain doesn't work that way. I need to focus on one thing, and what, it's it's actually I'm like that way across all all life skills. Like I will literally be chopping an onion, and my wife will say. Hey, what about like planning a trip or like some some sort of like who's picking up our daughter from this and whatever? And I'll be like, honey, I can't have this conversation with you because I'm chopping an onion. It should be like you literally can't have a conversation because you're doing. And like I can't, I can't multitask. So I I just can't do it. I'm incapable of doing it. It's infuriating for her. But I just I watch one game at a time. I don't tweet during the game. I'll text during games because people will text me. But I just watch one game at a time. That's it. That's all I can digest. And like. It, that's why it's all very boring. People ask me about my process, and I'm like, it's really kind of just boring. Like, I just work, I focus and work as hard as I can. Um, but you're you're definitely trying to get it. Would seem to me, in part because you're doing the ten things column, which requires you to have, and also just your job in general. You you have to have a, a, a feel for all thirty teams at all times. I cannot do it to the extent that you do. It's something I uh, greatly admire and envy. Um, I'm also kind of ADHD. And so when I'm watching a game, especially if it gets a little bit uh, draggy and I look at the app and I see that there's another game that's close and it's in the fourth quarter, I'm constantly doing the click around watching the last five minutes of a bunch of close games. Uh, I'm, I'm terrible that way. And so I also get sucked into the trap of, well, oh, wait, the Warriors are on again. I want to see what's going on with them or what the Celtics are doing or what Luka's doing or what Jokic is doing. And so I, I'm, some teams just fall off the map. Um, so that's the other thing. It seems like you've, you, you make it a point to over the course of any seven day span, if it's only two games a night, only two games a night, um, you're, you're definitely hitting a lot of them. Um, I also know this because we've sat next to each other, uh, particularly at, at Barclays center for Nets games. Occasionally the game you're, there's the game on the court and then there's the game that's on, on your laptop often. Uh, two, two things I know about Zach Lowe during games. One, there will be another game on, on the laptop while there's a game on the court Two, do not bother Zach Lowe in the course of a game. Zach is concentrating just as he is when he's chopping onions, apparently. Well, that's I get. does that count as multitasking? Because if I'm at a game, the thing about being at a game, it's super exciting. It's wonderful to see it live. But there's three-minute commercial break, 15-minute halftime, uh, this stupid official review for no reason on whether <laughs> this should be a take foul or not that takes six minutes. You add all that up, all that dead time, I can get another game and knock it out while I'm at the game. And then on my car ride home, if I'm taking an Uber or a cab or something, I can sit in the back seat, dial up my Wi-Fi and watch like part of a third game. It's just, it's a time. My whole life is just really actually sad. It's just about time (laughs) management. That's the only, the governing thing going through my brain at all times is time management. So that's you, why I don't. That's why I watch yeah. a game during the games, and that's why when people say hello to me, I'm just like hello, and then I put my the headphones are the ultimate weapon for solitude. Just put the headphones on, wave, and continue watching Wizards Magic. And I do watch every team. I've seen the last two Thunder games because it's like I think it's important a that fans in those markets feel like their team matters because their team does matter. There's only thirty, and b if you don't watch those teams. 
it, you can sit here and laugh at them and, oh, that team's tanking and that team stinks. Like, they all have players who are going to matter, and you're going to miss stuff. You're going to be late on stuff that's happening with those players and with those teams if you're just checking box scores. Like, you're just not going to see it. And I, there's always something, like, even, even the other day, Shea didn't play for the Thunder. And I and I had the Thunder on my little thing. I was like, I gotta watch Thunder tonight. Thunder Celtics. And you're initially like, well, God, this game doesn't really matter anymore without Shea. And then then you're like, well, this is an opportunity for other guys. Like, let's see how these. Let's see how Jalen Williams one looks. Let's see how Jalen Williams two looks. Let's see what Giddy does. See what Trey Mann does. And lo and behold, they hang one fifty on the Celtics without SGA. And you're like, well, that was kind of a fun game. Uh. You should not have. Uh, there should be a rule against two Jalen Williamses on the same team. Uh, this is like when we had. Didn't we have like seventeen Sean Williamses at one point in the league, and they were all in the Nets? Well, what really is the problem, and the Jamichael Green, Jeff Green era in Denver oh, highlighted this, is the box scores will go to great lengths to differentiate one from the other. Like it'll be J A Green and G J E Green. But then you go to the lineup data on NBA.com, and it's just Jay Green and Jay Green. I'm like, well, this, this is like, what are you, how are you, like, it's 2023. The stupid NBA updates its app every year. It gets worse every time they update it. They're constantly tinkering with it. You can't figure out the freaking lineup data so I can tell which Jalen Williams is which in the lineup data. This is the kind of thing other people have real complaints in life, like like things that are actually... I like my priorities are so askew that this actually makes me angry. These are beyond first world problems. These are like uh, first well, world. I get, no, of the no, NBA it's just problems. it's just that I'm stupid because like the actual problems of the world are so intractable and intimidating and huge that sometimes I just like I can't even contemplate global warming right now. So let me just direct my ire at Jay Green, Jay Green. Why not? That and the fact that uh, Le- League Pass Digital is still a disaster. Um, I was watching uh, one of the Warriors games earlier in the week. Uh, I think it was the, the the first overtime game, the Atlanta one. And twice, because I, I, had, I, had, I had surrendered the TV in the main room here. We only have one. I was watching on my computer instead, which meant I was on League Pass Digital. And it went to one of those breaks where there's just a blank screen. And it twice came back after a huge shot had been made in overtime. Well, you know what, Howard, what I'm learning about this is that I also watch games on my laptop. Um, I like to watch games on my laptop at games. I have no other choice but to watch other games on my laptop. The world is meant for phones now. The world is meant Mm -hmm. for people who want to watch games on their phones. I bet that app works way better on your phone than it does on your laptop. It's not meant for dinosaurs. It's not meant for us. It's meant for people who watch them on phones. It's too small. It's too small. Also, I have a smaller than average iPhone because I'm one of those people who never gave up on the idea of the size of the iPhone 4. So every new generation of iPhone, I'm buying the one where it's like the SE or the whatever, the iPhone classic, whatever it is that still is the size of like the iPhone 4 or 5. That's my, that's my, I can't. Can we talk about basketball? Because we're starting to sound (laughs) like the two old guys on the Muppets. Statler and Waldorf are they Statler and Waldorf who hate everything? I don't want to. I don't want to be Waldorf or Statler. I became those guys a long time ago. It's a lost cause. Although for me. they were the best part of the Muppets was when oh, they would God, just yeah. start heckling everyone. That was the Muppet Show. Can we get the Muppet Show back? 
They, the Muppet they brought show. it back a few years ago, and it, it only lasted like uh, like a half season or something. Oh, there so was, I failed. A, Here I am calling for the Muppet Show to come back, and it came back, and I didn't watch it. it there was like a, a one-season revival, and I don't think I watched it because I think my, my daughter had probably aged out of it. We should have watched it anyway. Um, yeah, I bought her those those DVDs when, when, uh, when she was small to watch all the ones that we grew up on. Do you have a favorite um, Muppet? A favorite Muppet? Um, other than, the, other I mean, than Statler and Waldorf? Other than Statler and Waldorf, everybody loves Kermit, right? Like that's the the, the go to. Um, Kermit uh, is like the Hulk Hogan of Muppets. Like it's like okay, yeah, Kermit's everybody cool. Like yeah. that's fine. Kermit's fine. Yeah, uh, I think as a kid, I I really thought Fozzie Bear was hilarious. I think that was preparing me for a life of dad jokes, probably. Um, like the dad jokes were like that was just waiting for me. Like it was that was my wheelhouse before it was ever time to. Uh, so Fozzie, yeah, you. Uh, Swedish chef oh, and, yeah. uh, and you just maybe you can't go wrong with animal animal. Just, Animal's just awesome. Just, just making noise on the drums and, and being crazy. Uh, somebody did a, I saw this video recently where somebody took, it was one of those videos, Swedish chef, I think is in it, animals in it. And one other, uh, Muppet, I think they're supposed to be singing like, Oh, Donnie boy, or one of these like sad, uh, dirges and somebody, uh, Overlaid the Beastie Boys sabotage, and it's the greatest thing I've seen. <laughs> that on is, the I, net this I will week. seek that out. You should find that. Okay, uh, all right, all right. Basketball. Um, I, I feel like we are the only ones this week who have not yet weighed in on what the heck is happening with all these individual offensive explosions, highlighted, of course, by Donovan Mitchell seventy-one, which you and I did discuss uh, briefly on your pod. Um, before I get to theories, I want to just hit this. To the extent that there is a surge in individual, outstanding, eye-popping, box-score-breaking performances, good thing, bad thing, just a thing? I think it's just a thing. I think it's, I mean, I don't, I think it's just a thing. I don't think it's good. I certainly don't think it's bad. Like, I'm not sitting here like, oh, the death of team basketball, all these guys that are using possessions at a record rate. I just don't like it. It seems to be working for all those teams. I mean, it's like, I don't know that there's, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's bad for their teams. Um, and I don't think it's indicative of like those guys are playing selfishly or anything like that. So I think it's more good thing than bad thing. Yeah, and I didn't even think of it in terms of like selfishness or team play and all that. <clears throat> I thought of it more of as, as like, Sometimes in this era, because of the pace of the game, which may be part of this, and because of the you know three-point shooting and spacing and all these features of the modern game, we get this hand-wringing about a distortion of like the space-time continuum and context and whether how to compare eras and whether this is somehow now, you know, like, oh, you know, now it, every era has its stuff that makes it unique and that makes statistical comparisons impossible anyway, which is why I hate historical comparisons. So I was thinking of it more in those terms, like, <clears throat> is this a just a big distortion that we're seeing. Um, so real quick, uh, I just did the, the, the quick stat head basketball reference um, rundown before we came on. At, at the time of this recording, there have been 14 games of at least 50 points by one individual, um, and we're about the midseason point right now. Uh, last year, there was 19 total, so we're already at 14. There may not be five more for the rest of the season, for all we know. So it, it you could say, well, we're on pace for 28, which would blow last season out of the water, but like... It, 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 we may not see another one. That's how these things sometimes go. Um, there have been two games of 60-plus. Last season, there were two. There have been 89 games of 40-plus. Last season, there were 119. So again, on pace for, if it continued, to blow that out of the water. Um, the 41 is the one that stands out to me. Yeah. 40 used to be like an event. Yeah. And now it's just I, you barely... 
it it's like oh it's a good game 42 and 14 for Embiid. that's nice let's see how many points Tyrese Maxey had like I, you don't even linger on it's true. the four anymore we're numb we're, we're numb to it and and again that's why I kind of you know not not that seriously asked but the good thing versus bad thing it it the baselines have changed quite a bit um in this era and, and at a time like this where you, it 40 used to be an event and now 40 is kind of like yeah well then I think again for me the yeah. baselines have changed I do think you have to factor it in like it like I catch myself just looking at stats and stuff and be like oh so and so is averaging like 21 a game that's pretty freaking impressive and then like 21 a game now is like 18 a game in my brain from like it's just the, the like you have to just dial up back your expectations a little bit for what that actually means relative to the league. Yeah. It, there was a time when 20 was the the barometer. Like anybody who was averaging 20 plus or especially over 25, <clears throat> this is a guy you're building around. And now it's it's fairly almost routine and there's and there's a ton of them. So the to the to the theories, if we believe that there actually is a spike, and again, we have half a season where maybe there won't be another 50 point or 60 point game and maybe even the rate of 40 point games will slow down. I don't I don't think it will, but um is there any one thing that is striking to you about why we're seeing this and maybe we're just overreacting because there were just a flurry of them over about a 10 day span and again because one of them happened to cross the 70 mark which we see very very rarely uh theories uh i yeah it's sort of a boring answer because i don't have a great answer to it i just think it's sort of an acceleration of all the trends that have been ongoing for the last 10 years more threes faster pace smaller lineups or more shooting in your lineup so that the floor is really well spaced for the best player on the team to just get into the paint over and over again. The take foul elimination, which congratulations to the NBA for being 10 years late on that, but they got rid of it (laughs) and that has increased fast breaks and, and, and efficiency is obviously sky high on fast breaks. I think all those things just sort of coalesce into a boom in scoring and then a boom in individual scoring. I will say, um, there's there's been a lot of talk about you know heliocentrism. I think Seth Partnow yeah. um, was the one who really introduced that term into the lexicon. The very smart and wonderful Seth Partnow, um, and that that discussion is mostly focused on like Rockets James Harden, current Luka Doncic, Trey Young, the the guy the 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 idea being this guy runs every single possession. If you combine their scoring and assist rate, they're for some sort of combined super usage stat. They they are running everything. And Corey, I, I don't know if it's Yez or Jez. I'm apologies if I'm getting his name wrong. He does analytics for the Blazers and he pops into every Blazers broadcast with all these delightful tidbits. Oh, yes, I've seen um, him. He, he's great. And he had uh, on last night's Blazers um, Wolves game, he popped on and he said he was talking about this. And he said, if you look at the highest usage guy on every team across the league, what their usage rate is. It's higher now. I don't think you have exact figures, but it's higher now on average than it has ever been, ever in the whole league. So it's not just Luca, Trey, all these guys that we associate it with. Even the guys we don't think of as like, wow, they're just pounding it, dominating every possession. Tatum, Giannis, Durant, even those guys, it's two or three percentage points higher than it's been in the past. Why is that happening? What is the thought behind that? Um, why are teams more 
likely to sort of, I guess, simplify and just say, well, that guy's that guy's our offense more than not. What is what does that mean? What does that say? I don't know the answer to that, but I thought that was interesting. I mean, certainly it matches the eye test and everything that we're talking about, but it's interesting. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. So I'm going to I'm going to uh, now pat myself on the back for being uh, intuitive about something that I did actually did not know because I did not done the homework on. Um, but uh, your guy, Corey, from the Blazers had I had a list of things I had jotted down on my word doc here. And one of them was individual usage higher than ever. That was uh, intuitive, not uh, quantitative. I did not know for sure. But I feel like that's a big part of this. Um, no, it, there's no question that it is. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when so I, there was a story I wrote a few years ago um, about 
Harden and his postseason, you know, failures, struggles, whatever we want to call them. And and I had posited the idea that high usage guys, uh, there's a limit to how far you can you can go with this. And at the time, I did just a very rough, very statisticians would cringe at my methodology, but I basically just looked at everybody who had ever had, I think, a 35 usage or over in the regular season, according to basketball reference, and there's our estimates, not as precise as NBA.com, but it goes back farther and it's easier to search, NBA.com. One of these days, learn some lessons from basketball reference, I hope. Um, and the fact was, like, I looked back, and like even Michael Jordan in, in his best seasons did not hit 35 usage rate, I think, maybe once or something. Um, and the higher usage rates in an individual season tended to correlate with not going that far in the playoffs. And so I was doing this kind of very rough thing of like, this is not a this is not a formula that works. And I had a, 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 a spirited debate uh, with Daryl Morey about this because this was uh, back when Harden... No, Daryl defended Houston. James Harden? No, that... No way. <laughs> well, but it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. We've been having an ongoing debate for years now about... I, I kind of believe in this 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 basketball ideal of players sharing the ball and everything. This is this is the influence of two things. I covered Phil Jackson for five years, where it was all about the triangle, and yes, eventually it's all about Shaq or all about Kobe or all about Jordan. But for most of the game, the idea is that everybody is involved. It's a five man game, and then guys are feeling involved and in better rhythm and feeling better. So it's it's just this idea that 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 it's. You want um, a certain spirit and a connection between your players, and it's not just about one guy above the rest, even though you need that one guy to win championships. And then I covered Mike D'Antoni teams uh, in, in New York, and he had come just come from Phoenix, where it was all about the ball finds energy. And so I, these two things have always influenced kind of my belief of, of basketball aesthetics and, and, what's, and what, what works. So I've always been a bit of a skeptic of the uber heliocentric James Harden or Westbrook when he was in Oklahoma. Um, even Giannis now, though they did win a championship um, just a year and a half ago. Uh, I, I, I'm a little bit of a, of a skeptic of, of the leaning too far into this, but I think teams are more tolerant of it or more embracing of it. And we're in an era where, you know, you just brought it up. The stat is there it, it, that it's, it's individual usage. So if, if we're going to lean hard into take your best player, let him do whatever he wants for the most part within reason and have skyrocketing usage rates, it, it does stand to reason we're going to get more 50, 60 and even a 70 point game. Yeah. And as to the ceiling of that style, speaking of Phil Jackson, you know, that's one of the many, many reasons why the Warriors Rockets rivalry of as brief as it was, but of the particularly when Durant was with the Warriors and Paul was with the Rockets and it was kind of a fair fight ish. Um, that's why it was one of the reasons it was so irresistible was the clash in styles yeah. and underlying that like a really, really deep philosophical disagreement on how basketball should look. And not only like that also influenced the officiating kerfuffle that happened when the Rockets produced their report <laughs> about right. how they had been shortchanged X amount of points in game seven in 2018. And I dug into that. I dug into that with league officials and team officials and all that. And part of that was like, just the sort of human nature officiating of the Rockets were like slightly right to a very small degree and that Harden didn't get quite as many calls as he likely deserved. But part of that is like they're just – he has the ball all the time. And so no superstar gets every call they deserve because if they did, the games would last three and a half hours and that was just exacerbated by how much – Harden had the ball. I had this exact conversation with a team official at a game recently, 
and about like what do you think of this like does, can you win can you win the way Dallas is playing right now yeah. can you win the way the Rockets played <clears throat> and he kind of said well like the Rockets when they had Chris Paul as the number two guy like almost beat the greatest team that's ever been assembled in the history of the NBA maybe look at LeBron's usage rates from his days in Cleveland when they won the championship they're between 31 and 35 and he had Kyrie Irving as a second guy. Maybe it's not about the style as much as it is about the supporting talent around the style. And and I I, I don't think there's like a universal answer to this. But yeah, if, if yeah. it's Luca with Christian Wood as the second best player, you're probably not going to get very far. If it's Luca with a guy close to his level that's willing to play off the ball, you could probably get pretty damn far. I don't know that there's. I, there's- I do think there's a fatigue thing. Yeah, um, where you have to be a little careful with how you parse it out in the regular season, and we've seen it with Luca in fourth quarters. With every time that Harden craps to bed in, a, in an elimination game, the the answer is always, "Well, he's tired from all the stuff he did in the regular season." Well, it's like no one made him, no one made him do that stuff. Like it's within the rules, where he can not play that way all the time if he wants to. And I guess that we get to a chicken and egg thing too, right? Because in the hypothetical where Luca has a <clears throat> Luca esque, or at least a guy maybe a a, a notch or two below him. As a teammate, uh, another true all-star, the, the usage rate is probably not as high anyway because by by definition, you're going to probably let that guy carry some of it and you don't need to be at 35, 36, 38 usage. Um, so there is there's some chicken and egg stuff going on there and, and some other stuff too. But um, but yeah, to the extent that like, you know we don't have rooting interests, um, but w- there's what stuff we like and stuff we don't. I enjoyed watching those Warrior teams, again, as another example of that ball movement. You know, everybody's involved. It's it's more to me. That's just more fun to watch than those Harden Rockets teams. Well, um, and, and, they, and they play that way for one reason and one reason only. You can give me all the reasons you want and talk about Steve coming from the Phil Jackson coach tree. They play that way because of Steph Curry. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. the whole thing. I, he is true. everything they have done there is because of Steph Curry stylistically in terms of what they accomplished. That's it. Um, I do think Luca. Not to sidetrack us here, but. You know, I was having this discussion recently with somebody about I, I someone said this on a podcast. I think it was Wendy's podcast, I can't remember which one, about being really confident that Luca would welcome a legitimate co star, be super happy to share the ball and play more of an off ball role. And that's a subject of a lot of sort of speculation around the league of like let's just say they got I don't. I'm not, I'm not even going to say a name. So just a a really good guard who could, who has had usage rates near thirty in his career, but isn't as good as Luca. I, I I bet I bet Luca likes that idea. I wonder how it would work in reality, because it's the same. It, it like we saw with Harden. Like every yeah. time they got somebody, he'd be like, "Oh, it's great. Let's get this guy." And then after a year, he'd be like, "I don't want to play with this guy." Like, and this guy doesn't want to play with me because I don't pass him the ball because I want to play Harden ball. Like, does Luca want to play Luca ball or does he want to play? And maybe it doesn't even matter because he's so freaking good at Luca ball that they well, got to the conference finals last year and they're kind of surging up the standings now. Yeah. Um, we had a couple leftovers on the low post, some some things we kind of touched on, but we didn't really dive into. And I, I kind of want to just circle back to them. We don't have to spend a ton of time, but um, I just thought it'd be interesting. We uh, we had touched on just briefly the midseason tournament because other innovations recently, including lottery reform 
and the uh, play-in tournament have had a really positive impact on the regular season. Parity, competitiveness, all this stuff, right? Of course, as we said here at the in early January at the mathematical midpoint, we are still pre-pivoting uh, uh, season time. I don't know what I'm... The time of the season when teams decide to pivot. Tanking can still happen this year. All the parity we're seeing could still get just blown up by teams deciding, you know what? Uh, screw it. I know the lot, the odds suck. Um, forget the play and forget everything else. Let's just go for women. Yama. That, like that could still happen. It could change this entire discussion, but a lot of things have gone right. And the thing that is still looming on the horizon is the, the, the in season, the mid season tournament, which you and I, I think have both been skeptics on. We have friends at the league office who have, uh, been, uh, are, are convinced that they're going to convince me. Um, and I remain a skeptic. But you you said, I think you said the other day when we talked that you were warming to the idea. You were not, not as uh, opposed or skeptical as, as you were before. Um, when What's what's your, your sense of, of what this might do and, and why it might actually spread? Because I think everybody agrees anything to energize the regular season is a good idea. I, I'm just not sure if this is, this is the, uh, the right wrinkle. So you know how every time your favorite website like redesigns itself out of nowhere. Your initial reaction is like, I hate this. Go back to the way it used to be. I don't like this interface. No and idea what you're talking about. And then after like three days, you just forget that it happened. You're like, oh, this is actually kind of good. I think that's what the midseason tournament is going to be like. I think there's going to be this initial like, what is this thing? Does anyone care about it? Are we hanging a banner for it? This is stupid. It's a championship, but it's not the actual championship. And then in year three, we're going to be like, oh, the midseason tournament final four is coming up. That's Kind of fun. I kind of like that. I, if you don't want it, if you don't like it, so much of it is going to just be built into the regular season schedule anyway that yeah. you don't even really have to notice that it exists. And if you do like it, I think there'll be whatever it's going to end up being this final four or final two or whatever they stop and play these extra games when it's just the end of it. It'll be this kind of fun, like, oh, this is kind of a fun, like, whatever, two-day, three-day thing, and then it's over. Like, I just think it'll be... I think it's almost like no harm, no foul. Like if you don't like it, you don't really have to care about it. And yeah. then it's just then it's just over and we go on with the season. It'll give us one more thing to uh, either uh, discuss, deride, whatever uh, on podcasts when it finally comes to pass. So, you know, we could sit there and mock whatever it's going to be. The David Stern Cup, um, you know, oh, you know, ooh, oh, the Pacers won the Stern Cup. Who cares? Like, it's not the championship. You know who's going to care, though? You know, who's, you know who it's going to be cool for? Like, I don't know what the final negotiation will be, but there's going to be, like, a non-trivial amount of money for a lot of players. Like, whatever the prize is going to be, like, it, maybe it doesn't matter for the much for the max guy on your team, but for, like, the back third of the roster, it's going to be a big deal, potentially. It, it, it won't matter for max players financially, and it won't matter for championship caliber teams competitively because their eyes are still going to be on April, May, June. And that's my concern. But to your point, if the players embrace it and are excited about it and motivated and it, and it makes those games feel somehow more uh, vital, then that will translate to the fans, right? Like we as viewers feed off of whatever the, the teams are projecting. If they embrace it, I think we end up embracing it. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure how I would feel about any. The difficulty of it is like I'm not sure how I would feel about any team-based reward that gets attached to it. So, people have in in the past floated you should get an extra draft pick or something yeah. like that, which is really that means the players are playing to give you another crack at getting their replacement. Yes, or maybe teams. Maybe if you win, you should be guaranteed 
a playoff spot in the real playoffs. I'm like that seems like for something that's going to be kind of mostly built into the regular season schedule, which is like random and has back to backs and home court advantage and injuries and load management, a lot of managing of the loads. <laughs> it just seems like that seems like a pretty out of proportion reward. So I don't mm. know. I don't. It, it, I don't know if there should be any team based reward other than you get to say you won. I do think because I think competitive uh, incentives are better than financial incentives in a lot of ways. Um, I like the idea of it having some influence on the seedings or home court or something. Like I don't know how you do that, and I know as, as you're saying, there's so many other variables that may feel distorted. But that's something you could actually play for and you would care about. I'm, I'm not saying they wouldn't care about a couple so extra like, thousand. Let's, let's, wallets, let's game it out though. So like, what if the Celtics win it? And they're already like a great team. Obviously, yeah. in the playoffs, they're a great team. Like, does it end up being uh, the 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 first tiebreaker over head to head if they tie with sure. the Bucks in the standings? Sure. sure. What if? Okay. And then on the other hand, what if the Rockets win it? What are we doing with them? Are we putting them in the playoffs? <laughs> no. Are we putting them in the play in? Yeah. And if we do put them in the play in, and we know halfway through the season that the 15th place Rockets are actually in the play-in, what does that mean for teams 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 30? It just starts to, it just yeah, starts to get it gets messy. Weird. It gets weird in a hurry. It, it's true. Um, all right. Uh, the other le- leftover loose thread we had, this could be a, a, a three-hour discussion, but we're going to do it in like five minutes. Um, I have been very, 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 very much pro Lakers should trade the damn picks. Um they actually have more picks. I went into this on, on the crossover pod uh, with, with Mannix when we talked about this last. They have other picks. It's not just that it's 2027-29. Even this season, it's a swap with the Pelicans. They're going to lose a pick that could become Victor Wembanyama, but they get they do get the Pelicans pick. There's an option that the Pelicans could take either next year's or the year after, so that's locking up some picks. But they they will have other first-round picks. The idea that the Lakers are, are putting themselves in a position where it's all or nothing championship contention or nothing we can't we can't trade these picks it's going to sacrifice our future i am of the belief and i've always have been and this goes back to when lebron was in cleveland and this goes to the the warriors when i thought they should have traded the picks that became their young guys if you've got a, a special player you're all in you should be all in at all times especially if they're in their twilight as lebron is you have been a pump the brakes guy on any trades of those picks i believe they should still go all out Whatever it means, because if it makes them more competitive this season, it makes the season more relevant, more uh, uh, vibrant for for this season where LeBron is still playing it at at least an all-NBA level, then you do it. And it also helps you potentially next season because these aren't players that are just going to disappear. Um, But you have been a a bit more of a a, a, uh, slow go on that one. Well, first of all, you have to make sure that they... Are, are actually not players who are just going to disappear. Uh, you have to make sure there are players that are either have multiple years on their contracts or in the case of someone like Kyle Kuzma, you're willing to pay them 20 something million dollars a year on t- and and I know this is hard to hear for the Lakers, the little little the little shop that could, the little engine that could like maybe go into the luxury tax a little bit more aggressively like a lot. Um I'm not sure they have more first-round picks to trade because they owe so many, and it's uncertain when New Orleans is going to take that 2024 or 2025 pick that because of the stepping rule, I'm not sure they have extra extra so, ones to trade. Let me, let me clarify. Not that they have to trade, but that they have coming eventually. It's not that they will be, if they trade those 27, 29 picks, we're acting as though and, and uh, conversing about these things as though 
Once oh, those are gone, they're screwed. Mean. I'm yes. saying they have other pieces. And of, and of course, some of those picks will become trade eligible in future years. I'm saying they don't have more to trade now. But if those picks are gone, if they're out the window for Heald and Turner or whatever it becomes, it's not as though you don't have future picks to use for yourself in a post-LeBron For yourself. World. That's the key. For yes. yourself. You, yes. you, you shoot yourself in the foot for your ability to ever trade those picks again because of the step-in rule. But right. they also have second-round picks coming from, um, I think, a couple other teams, which is like, yay, hurrah. Um, so, okay, my, my thing has always been two things. Uh, most importantly, what's the trade? Tell me the trade. Well, that's the tough part. And, and, and listen, yeah, that's I, the whole thing, Howard. That's, that's the their whole job. part. That's their job. That's their job. Okay, and they, so, they could have so, done Heald and Turner over the summer. I think everybody agrees. So that's done. They didn't yeah. do it. Okay, so now it's January yeah. 5th. The Pacers yeah. are like four games ahead of them in the standings. Yeah. Buddy Heald shooting 43% from three. Miles Turner's really good. So that's gone, prob- probably. I, I, I still... I, let's just posit that it's gone. Nothing is ever dead until it's dead. And it's February 10th or whenever the day after the trade deadline is. But let's posit that it's gone. What's the trade? I have not been playing with the trade machine, and I don't know. But that is presumably the front office's job. I'm, it's not, my my job is to is to say I think you are screwing this up because I'm just a media pundit off in the way. I'm Statler and Waldorf up there uh, mocking their inability to actually make this season worthwhile. It's their job to, uh, as as on the Muppet Show, perform a little better so that Statler and Waldorf don't have something to mock them for. Uh, okay, but. If there's no trade, there's no trade. And well, we don't know. It, well, we yeah. don't know, but like uh, teams are going to maybe pivot in the next month and maybe different players become available. But so, so there's that whole problem linked to that whole problem. Let's just take the Heald and Turner trade, which I, which I, before the season, I was like, that's, they got to really seriously consider that. That's kind of a good trade. Let's, let's think about what we've, what we have learned or in some cases relearned in the interim. Number one, Anthony Davis is a center. They have to build around the entire assumption that Anthony Davis is a center. Miles Turner is a center too. Jakob yep. Pertl's a center. Go through all the centers. They're all centers. You can sit here and tell me that Miles Turner can shoot threes and maybe guard stretch fours. So to minimize the sort of center overlap, like that's not ideal. Number two, Russell Westbrook's playmaking is like a real thing that they need. So if I take that away and I bring back no playmakers, none, zero, Buddy Hield and Miles Turner are like anti-playmakers, I have now have a playmaking deficit on my team that I have to deal with. So that's all, all that. The second big prong of this is I keep reading this and hearing this, and it sounds awesome to say, and it's true in some like very basic literal sense. Well, man, if you just have Le- LeBron and AD playing like his MVP self like he was for those 15 games... And, you know, just a competent, like, give me, maybe trade for a Kuzma here and a Bogdanovich there. Maybe we make two deals. Like, they got a puncher's chance in any series in the Western Conference. Puncher's chance. Like, okay, that's awesome. A puncher's chance, like, a puncher's chance is great in any individual series. Here's the deal. Number one, you have to get into the playoffs. Yeah. They're not in right now. They're not in the play-in right now. Number two, a puncher's chance to win every series. You got to win three to get to the finals. So that means you got to connect on the punch in a deep conference three times in a row. That's like just basic probability of like what's the odds of flipping heads three times in a row. It gets, it gets 
worse and worse and worse the more consecutive wins you have to add up. And all of that is based on the assumption that the best case scenario will play out, that LeBron will stay healthy, that Anthony Davis will get healthy, stay healthy, and play like the MVP. You have to plan for contingencies that include LeBron getting hurt, which has happened every year he's played for the Lakers, basically, and Anthony Davis getting hurt, which happens every month he plays for the Lakers, and Anthony Davis maybe not playing all the time like an MVP-level guy that he was for 15 games out of so far 40. Like You can't just assume that everything else is going to hit around this trade. Yeah, and and I'm with you on that, and that's all fair. Um, My feeling is simply that the puncher's chance means that you have added meaning to this season, whereas at the moment there probably is none. And I would rather have puncher's chance and feel like, you know what, I did as much as I could to maximize LeBron's late prime, his twilight, whatever this is at age 38, year 20, where he's still playing at an all-NBA level. I want to be able to go to sleep at night not just now, and in, but in future years, knowing that I did everything I could to give him that puncher's chance. Because, frankly, this is a year where the West, as you say, it's, it's really deep. But there's no super team. There's nobody it's, that's see, unbeatable. See, I, I, and, and, I, and LeBron I and reject, AD at their best. I reject that conceit. I reject that conceit. Yes, there's no super team. That's awesome. Like, Durant's not on the Warriors anymore. Like, there's no super team. That doesn't mean it's easier to win the West. It just means it doesn't mean it's easier to win three playoff series in the West. Was, Let's forget, put it that forget way. Forget super team. There's no great team. There are a bunch of really, really, really good teams. There's no great team. Fair? Yes, but that that historically has not been a really good sign for a bad team's chances of winning a well, conference. We're trying to make them not a bad team. <laughs> That's the point of the exercise. Look, I right? get it. I was yeah. tempted by that Pacers deal yeah. before the season. A couple of things have changed since then. A, that deal's maybe off the table. We've certainly posited that just for the thought exercise. And B, the Lakers are worse than I expected them to be, uh, than most people expected them to be. But I do think there is a thread-the-needle thing here, which is that, as you said, you make a trade that not only bolsters you this season, but gives you a path that makes sense around LeBron and AD for next season. So that's why I'm sure they're watching the Bulls for Levine. I'm sure they're watching the Wizards for Beal, although that contract is a lot. The Russ contract is a lot, too. Talk about a guy who's always hurt. Yeah, and and Brad's had a really good season, but he's been hurt a lot. Um, He just got hurt, came back and got hurt again against the Bucs the other night. Um, So I I do think they'll look at deals like that, and that that makes... You can sell me on something like LeBron, Beal, AD, all right, let's get ready and go to war with that. That's the use of our cap space this summer, effectively, right, by trading for Beal. That's interesting to me, and if he stays healthy, the, that, the puncher's chance rule certainly comes into play with that group. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, 
as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. So I mentioned we're at the mathematical midpoint and a couple more before I let you go here, just kind of looking back. Um, we all make our silly preseason predictions and prognostications and rankings and things. Um, and I was looking back at some of mine. I think the one that made me cringe the most was I, I had uh, Rudy Gobert as my preseason defensive player of the year. Um, probably not going to happen. I mean, that's, um, that race is wide open too. I, I still feel okay about clips over Bucks in the finals, though there's like 17 possible finals iterations at least. Um, and that one, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, anything that you firmly believed about a team, a race, a player, a situation before the season that at midseason you're going like, eh, I may have been a little off. I was dramatically wrong about the Toronto Raptors. I thought the Raptors were going to be good. Whatever their over or under was, I can't remember what it was. I was like over, over, over. Um, they're sixteen and twenty-two. Every possession is a goddamn slog, and they're starting a homestand now that is going to make or break their season. And they started it with an almost miraculous comeback win, but loss to Milwaukee last night in another game where their offense was horrible. Their defense hasn't been as good as I expected it to be, and you're starting to feel the downsides of the kind of style that they've chosen of just all length, all size, all versatility. Well, you know, guards are good. Shooting is good. And they don't have enough of those things. Centers are good. 
those those things that that those downsides have come to roost. So I, I was um, that's the one I was by far by far the most kind of wrong about. Everything else I I actually did. I was probably a little too low on Portland, but they're just one game more 500. It's not like they're blowing the doors off people. And I guess, you know, look, for all the opposition I had to the Gobert trade, I still thought the Timberwolves would be a good regular season team. Yeah. And to date, they have been a not good regular season team. And I guess that, I mean, Utah's the obvious one we were all wrong about, but those were those are the ones that stand out. Yeah. I, I, I had on my, my quick hit list just underestimating Utah, Portland, and Indiana. Um, all those teams have been have been really fun and competitive, and and yeah, within reason. Like they're not, you know, none of these teams are winning a playoff series, but uh, those have been been fun to to see us be wrong about. Uh, I thought the Grizzlies would struggle to replicate their success of last season, and that wasn't so much a judgment about them. It was more about the depth of the Western Conference, and you know, guys coming back in in Denver and the Clippers and all. Like I just thought that. The situation would make it tougher that the the, the well uh, and Jackson starting the season injured um, yes. and they, yeah I was I thought they were I thought they were their downside was potential like uh oh we got to avoid the play and and they have been they are really really good man they're tied, the Grizzlies they're, are really good they're tied for first of the West as we as we record this that's and, a and team I was, I, I've said this before that's a team they hold their assets near and dear they play for the big fish. If I'm them, if I can trade one little asset, one pick, and one young player or something for like a medium-sized fish that can be my fifth to eighth best player, but is a proven veteran with a skill set that helps me, I think that team is good enough to do it now. Like I think they should go for it now. Uh, I agree. Um, you start off with the, with the, the Raptors, which I also had uh, on my list of, of teams that I certainly overestimated. You just spent a bunch of time, as you do every holiday or you know December holiday break, um, with family up there. Um, so you were in Toronto, and you probably spent some time around the team as well. Do you have something coming on the Raptors that we should be looking for? Uh, no, I I had, hoped, I had hoped to, but the dates okay. of my trip changed to the point that I instead of seeing an entire awesome Raptors homestand, I saw one. Oh, right, because. Yes, Raptors family game. illness issues. Um, yes, I think Tim Bontemps has something on the Raptors. I mean, it's we all know the Raptors are facing a crossroads, right? And I think Tim has a story coming out. He was there for that whole homestand, um, and uh, we got to hang out a little bit. I think he has something coming on the Raptors facing a crossroads. And what does it actually look like for them? Like it's you know the blow it up button is easy to sort of look at and gawk at. But the Raptors are a particularly tricky case of like, okay, so if you just ask one follow up question, like, well, what is it? Wait, what does that actually mean? Like, what does blow it up mean for the Toronto Raptors? Like, literally, what do you do? Then it becomes a little harder. I don't think they're the classic blow it up. Like the Bulls are the classic blow it up team. Like you're you're just you've maxed out. The Raptors are more like the the kind of pivot along the way thing where trade one key piece or maybe two and some picks, whatever it is. Um, I, I don't feel like they're a blow it up because I think of blow it up as being like you're tearing down to the studs and tanking, and I don't think that's where they are. Yeah, um, and like, like, so what are they supposed to do? Trade Siakam? Yeah. Like, what, what, what is that? What is that doing for me? Like, no. um. Anyway, I'll I'll talk about the Raptors another day as the crossroads approaches. Do you worry about the backlash from Spooky Molder fans as as you uh, describe them in in, in Toronto? Oh, is that is that? Wait, I actually was thinking about this. Is is that your most? We all have fan bases that seem to come after us the most when we spend too much time on social media or wherever else. 
Is that is that your? Are they the bane of your your existence? They're the ones who are going to come the most. Is, is there is there another fan base out there that that uh, that haunts you? Oh, I love Toronto fans. Um, <laughs> even the spooky Mulder contingent is just sort of fun. Um, I don't even know anymore because I don't I don't pay attention. Um, I, I I do know I I ran into someone in Toronto who saw me on the street and was like, "Oh, Zach Lowe." Hey man, like I said some nasty stuff about you on Twitter. I'm sorry. Like you're actually you're a really nice guy. I like your work. I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't see it, but but thanks. And I think that's just how most people are. It's like yeah. it's like it's the the people who are mean on social media, if they see you in real life, like Kyrie Irving actually to his credit talked about this when the Boston fans were getting on him, was kind of like when he tried to engage him and was like, Here here I am. Like yeah. if you saw me in a coffee shop. You guy calling me profane names would probably come up to me and be like, "Hey, Kyrie, just like love your game, yeah, big fan." Like people are just different on social media than they are in real life, and so I just learned to stop paying attention to it. And this, and poor, my- this poor guy was like, "I'm so, I don't," I, he didn't even tell me what he said. God only knows what it was, and he was like, <laughs> "Perfectly nice guy." You're a better man than me for not looking at all those comments all the time. I probably spend too much time uh, reading any of it. Um, yeah, people. When you say different on social media, what you mean is that people are far worse on social media. Well, people will just call you names like you're a fucking idiot, you idiot yeah. moron, and like, and then they see you in real life, and they're like, oh, there's a per- he's a person. Yes, he's a person, and he's like walking with other people. Also, by the way, I, I want to say this almost every time, guys. It's just sports. It ain't that serious. By the way, a criticism or negative remark about your team. It's not a personal attack on you. You are not your team. I hate to tell you this. You are not your team. It has nothing to do with you. All right, last thing. Uh, give me one thing you would change. If you could uh, grab uh, Doc Brown's DeLorean, go back in time, save one team this summer from minor error, catastrophic mistake, uh just whatever flight of fancy they took that they shouldn't have, is there one thing you would undo on behalf of one team? Well, there's only one answer to it. There's, there's multiple answers to this question, but there's really only one, right? I mean, there's, there's only one. Probably one primary one. I have a, I have an alternate one, but I'm curious. There's, a, there's only one, and I, and this was one I first guessed in talking to people around it at the time. And, like, the ultimate test is if Minnesota put Rudy Gobert on the trade market now, what would they get back? And the answer is it would not be close to deep breath. Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, four first-round picks. The other first-round pick they just drafted. The first-round pick they just drafted before that. Swap rights the next years, and they're like, it wouldn't even be close. Wouldn't be close. It would not even. I don't know if it would be a half of that. I want to note that you did not read that. That just came off the top of your head. That was impressive. <laughs> the list. There, are, there are other candidates, right? I mean, we can. I'm sure you have alternate candidates, but like, no, the list that, of wolves that's, things that's that were sent down was impressive. Yeah, that's the one. That is the one. Um. Because I, so when I when I sent you this question, I was thinking like, what's the? Because you know me, I'm I'm constantly going for the outside the box thing, and I went, I destroyed all boxes on your podcast the other day. I lit them on fire. Um, I, I was supportive of the fact that the Knicks decided not to go for Donovan Mitchell at the time for all the rationale that we know what they were going to have to give up, what they would have left, whether they'd even be good enough with what they had left and all this. And I don't want to. I'm not a, being a prisoner of the moment in the 71 point game. I swear. There's a part of me that thinks, you know what? You look at where they are. You know, they win eight in a row. They lose five in a row. They're up. They're down. They're they're exactly what you should expect them to be. They, I thought they'd be about a five hundred team that would flirt with playoff, play in whatever somewhere low in the stand in the uh, play in or playoff field. 
And that's where they are, and that's probably where they'll be. And it's a, a, a renaissance season for Julius Randle. It's been great. Ju- uh, Jalen Brunson has, has proven it, it, he was exactly worth the tampering charge and the lost second-round pick and the $100 million contract. All that's fine. I don't know what would have gone out ultimately, because we never know for sure what would goes out ultimately in a deal that did not get done. We all have all these hypotheticals and, and, and reports of what could have happened. There's a part of me that thinks, you know what? Maybe they should have. Maybe they should have. You see what Donovan Mitchell's doing on a night-to-night basis. I think he's even better than he was in Utah in a variety of ways. And you need the one star to get to the second star sometimes. And the their ceiling with him, I, I, they, maybe they'd still be a first-round-and-out team with what else is there or would be there after a trade. I don't know. There's just there's a part of me that's thinking about that more now, just seeing how, how great Donovan Mitchell has been in Cleveland. I'm not... I'm not judging it, and I'm not saying I believe this firmly, but when I was thinking about other ways to go other than Gobert, that was the one I thought about. Yeah, that's that's fair. I've certainly thought a lot about that. And when the Knicks were on that eight-game winning streak, I had Ian Begley on, and we talked about, like, no matter what you thought of the Mitchell trade not happening, happening, the Knicks' decision to ultimately not do it to the degree that they had made a coherent decision and weren't blindsided by the Cavaliers actually doing it, I don't think that eight-game win streak either redeemed the Knicks' reticence to do it or that the following five-game losing streak proved that the Knicks were idiots for not doing it. I think the jury's still out, and as everyone said at the time, they did not have a ready-made nucleus the same way that the Cavs did when they went all-in. They were more ready for the next step. Actually, when I was thinking of alternates to go bear for this question, I thought of the opposite thing, which is it's not one transaction. It's a prolonged sort of failure to anticipate a transaction. I thought about it from the other side of like the Mavs should have figured out the Brunson situation mm. in a way that would have him on their team today. And you could sure. you can come back to me and say, well, could they have Brunson and Christian Wood? Would that be too expensive for a team that's already over the luxury tax? Yeah, maybe like you have to figure out some other things, but I don't think there's any question they'd be better off with Jalen Brunson on their team. And that was a totally attainable goal for them uh, had they had they done some things differently over the last 18 months. Yeah, no that that's one where if they could grab Doc Brown's DeLorean and go back, I think they would they would uh, handle that situation that contract uh, much differently. Um, and that's one of my big curiosities for you know the next month. We've got uh, what is it about five weeks or something to go till the trade deadline. I I don't know what the Mavericks can do. They feel like one of the teams that have to do something. Um, you know uh, those you know the the there's the there's the Toronto Chicago category of the teams that you're wondering if they're going to pivot away from being competitive. Um, the Mavericks are one of those that I just feel like the clock is ticking and, and they got to, they got to find something. Um, I don't, I don't know how much lo- seven straight wins right now. They're, I know. they're playing their play. They might play their way out of feeling any urgency to help their team this year. Um, and, and try to kick the can again to off season and beyond once they have fulfilled the Knicks Porzingis obligation and they have all their picks to trade, um, they may be playing their way in back into that kind of holding pattern. Um, but you're always a four game losing streak away from feeling the same urgency you felt when you were previously on a four game losing streak. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Zach, this has been great. Uh, wonderful getting to do this twice with you in one week. Um, folks, if you didn't hear us, uh, doing the low post, uh, I don't know what's wrong with you, but go back and find us on yeah, the low post. Yeah, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> constantly constant question i'm asking people um 
go back and listen to that. Check out Zach's uh, 10 Things column, which will be up around the same time as this podcast. Zach, uh, great seeing you again, my friend. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Hopefully I'll see you soon at uh, one of the New York City basketball arenas. Where I will uh, not bother you while you're looking at your laptop. Yeah, don't bother. If I have my headphones on, Beck, <laughs> keep your distance. <laughs> Take care, my friend. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Zach Lowe. Thanks to our producer, Shelby Royston. And thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Maddox and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter, at Howard Beck. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.